0: Let us pray. God, we thank you for this new year, this opportunity to begin this year by gathering to worship you. As we look at your word today, speak into our hearts, minds, and lives that which we need the most. Take my words and make them yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to this new year. We have survived and hopefully enjoyed another Christmas season. And we come to this Sunday we call Epiphany Sunday, and this happens every year. The church that kind of looks at the church calendar comes to this Epiphany Sunday at the beginning of the new year after Christmas, and we have this reading. We have this reading about the wise men, and it's always interesting to me because I I wonder about that. We think so many times that, that the wise men came right as Jesus was born, just as the star appeared, but From what we understand from the scripture, it was after the fact, and there's a lot of debate about when that is after the fact, but after the fact. And so we have this Sunday to look at the story of the Magi, because their story often gets lost in the beautiful and significant and powerful story of Jesus, the Savior, being born and coming to the world. So as we look at the Gospel lesson today, I want to take a little bit of a different approach, maybe ask a couple questions, the the, the basic questions about this passage, The, the who, the what, the where, and the why. Of course, who, we know of Herod's and his role in the story, and of course Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but the story is really focused on the Magi. Understand that these magi, or wise men as they're called, could have been a lot of things. They might have been astronomers or astrologers, certainly philosophers, scientists of some sorts. But it's important to understand that they were not religious people. The star they were following was not because of their belief in God. They were not Jewish. It's actually a reminder that this Christ child has come for everyone. And so they are; these, these magi are on a journey. They don't know where it's going to lead. They're not religious. They're not Jewish. They, yet there's something about it. They're open to what God has in store for them. And so these magi, they go on this journey open to God's purpose, receptive to this king who is going to come. The what? Of course, the, the big what of this passage that, that is really often a focus of Epiphany Sunday is the three gifts that the wise men bring to Jesus. These gifts are not small gifts. They're not leftover gifts. They're not cheap, inexpensive gifts. They really bring this baby, this baby that they're journeying to find, even though maybe they don't necessarily have a reason to. They really bring this baby their best. Gold, Frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these three gifts represent a lot. I could do uh, you know I could talk for an hour, I promise I won't. football's on today, uh, about what these three gifts mean and their significance, and perhaps sometime on an epiphany Sunday we'll take a deeper look at these gifts. But understand that these were gifts of significance. These were gifts royalty they wanted to bring as they began to see, as they went to see the Messiah. It's interesting that this beginning of Jesus, as I've said, throughout December uh, begins with a little bit of a conspiracy, a little bit of a surprise. And of course his life ends in this way. They are surprised by this baby, but they worship this baby. They don't let Herod know what's happening. They don't go back to the ruler, the one in power. They take a different way. Somehow they get what's happening. They're, again, they're not religious. They're not Jewish. They have no investment in this Messiah. Yet they know these, these, these philosophers, these men of the world... These wise men of the world know that something significant is happening. That the world has changed. That everything has changed. And certainly it's a miraculous story. Certainly it's a beautiful story, Christ coming into the world. It's a story of salvation. But understand it's also a political time bomb. In every possible way, the world is being upended. It's being turned upside down. That in that moment, the religious, the government, the Jews, the scientists, these wise men, these astronomers, these philosophers, whatever they might have been or a combination thereof, understand that something dramatic is happening. That everything is different. Everything will be different. That something significant is happening. Where? Well, we know this happens in Bethlehem, in the hilly region of Bethlehem. Understand this, that Bethlehem in particular, but Israel itself, especially in that area of Jerusalem, is a very hilly region. Uh, My calves uh, were very aware of that on my own uh, journey there. But this is to fulfill the prophecy. This is to be connected to David, Jesus' lineage connected to David, as it's outlined in the Scripture. That it happens here for a purpose. But Bethlehem is not necessarily a likely place, not a booming town. Even as you go there today, compared to the beauty and the cleanliness of Jerusalem even today, Bethlehem doesn't seem like much. That even then, mostly fields, shepherds, some houses... But there's more here to the where. Of course, the where has to do with this star. They're following this star. Understand that this is not any old star. This is a significant celestial event. It's one of those things, and I know we see them in the news and throughout your lifetime you've seen them, whether it's stars coming together or a planet being in view or an eclipse or this meteor shower or that, that we have these events that seem to only come around once every 10, 20, 100, 500 years. These significant celestial events, that this star was not just of spiritual significance, not just a good story. But this was a real celestial event. We don't know for sure what it was, what exactly happened. The best we understand looking back in the history of the universe, it's likely that three stars or three planets came together in one view or one bright view. When I was in college, we had the privilege, even for a small Christian college, we had this amazing, beautiful astronomy lab. It was so advanced that the students in astronomy from Villanova University would come over and use it for their studies. And having to take a science, I'm not very good at science, I took that because it was the most interesting to me. And as you could look out through these powerful telescopes and take images of the moon to see the rings of Saturn, to see how big and bright Jupiter really is, it added significance to the power of God, beauty to the universe. There was something amazing, and still to this day, I know very little. I I, I muddled through. I didn't do great. It, you know, it was not my strongest class in college. But even to this day, I know from the brightness that which is Jupiter. And so oftentimes I imagine, like many of the astronomers believe, that whether it was Jupiter and Saturn or another star, they come together in this bright moment. But understand what the Magi believed. Understand what the people believed. Understand what the government believed. That the universe spoke to the truth of the world. That significant events in the sky meant that something significant was happening on Earth, and vice versa. I think we lose sight of that today, that creation speaks to the power of God, that the beauty and the power and the amazement of creation speaks volumes. And so these wise men were after this star because they understood it was more than just this cool event, this celestial event. But something was happening. The God or gods for them were were doing something significant. Uh, This was a significant moment on earth. Something amazing was was happening. All the universe was connected for them. And again, I think we lose sight of that. And so in this moment, it's a holy moment. It's a holy moment in creation, this special celestial event. It's a holy moment spiritually because God has come to earth. It's a holy moment in a practical way because the people have been changed. This Christ child, this son of God has come for all people. And the Magi, perhaps other than Herod, maybe, maybe, We don't know for sure. May have been the most irreligious people in the story. And even they knew that significance was there, that something significant was happening. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to see it. They wanted to experience it. Speaking also to the where, there is a lot of great debate about where exactly this happened. Not so much the physical location, Bethlehem, or even where in Bethlehem. But a lot of times in in our Christmas decorations, we have this, this beautiful wood manger that's, you know, got the point on the top of it. And so in our minds, we think of Jesus being born in a manger or a stable. And of all of the different views about where this happened, that is actually the least likely to be true, that our kind of common understanding of that is really not accurate to the geography or the climate. Some believe that it, that it happened in, in the basement of a house or in the attic of a house. Others believed that it happened in a cave, which would be very common to the area. A lot of caves and the animals were kept in the caves. Some take that a step further and and say that it happened at a cave, but on top of that cave was a house. And again, that was very common to have your house built on a cave and your animals and your other things were stored in the cave. It was also common to have your animals in the house, your goats and your chickens, don't get any ideas, uh, in the house. So there's a lot of debate about that. It's not really incredibly significant. Your own two pastors don't even agree on which we think it is. But the last two are probably the most likely. It's really very much not likely that it was this little box, this little stable. Again, whether it was in a house and where in a house or a cave and whether or not there was a house on top of it, that's the debate. Does it matter eternally? No, it doesn't. But really, I think the last two, the cave or a cave that had a home built on top of it, are certainly the most likely, from what we know from Scripture, geography, and history. And still today, not only because it was likely a cave, but because these cities have been conquered and destroyed and built up on and destroyed, not as much Bethlehem as Jerusalem, but still to this day, the the Church of the Nativity, which is built on the site where Jesus is born, to go to that spot, as you've heard me say, you descend down under the church. And even going in the church, you have to duck to go in the door. So you go down lower into this cave-like space. So that's the where. A little background on this story. The who, the, the what, the where, again the when. We know that that is, you know, sometime after Jesus is born. Whether days or weeks, we don't know. Certainly not in the moment But perhaps the most important part of this story that we come to now is the why. Why this story? Why do we read this every year? Why does this matter so much? Why are the magi, these irreligious astronomers, scientists, philosopher types, why are they even included? What is the significance of this? What does this mean? I think first and foremost, Again, it reminds us about the power of a holy moment. There are many reasons, again, but I, and I can't cover them all today, but, but certainly one of them has to be helping us to understand what it means to experience, to observe a holy moment. That ordinary moments really can become extraordinary ordinary moments are meant to be holy moments. So oftentimes we forget that, we don't notice that, we don't realize that. You know, for us that have had kids, the birth of our children, that's an extraordinary moment that you don't forget. For those who deliver babies all day and week long, it's still powerful and amazing but it's a different kind of moment. And yet, all of these moments, whether it's routine for us, it seems insignificant for us, whether it's powerful and amazing, like a great change in the sky or the coming of a savior, all moments can be, are meant to be holy moments. And it's ironic that perhaps the least spiritual, the least religious people were the ones that understood that this was a holy moment. The second thing I think this story teaches us, the why of the story, the second why I want to focus on is that these wise men brought their best to God. The best that they had. The best that they owned, the things of greatest significance to them, the best. So oftentimes in the busyness of life, or perhaps even the role that faith may play in our lives, God oftentimes gets our leftovers, if we're honest. That God gets our convenience. For these magi, the journey, the the risk... The quality of the gifts they brought. This was a sacrifice. They didn't just give something to check it off the box, to make sure, you know, that they weren't a bad guest. They gave their very best. The stuff that mattered the most. And I think that's one of the whys that their story is celebrated and highlighted because they gave their best to God. And I think that that is something for us to consider as well. Not just material objects, but of our time, our passion, our energy. That this is a remarkable event, a holy moment. And they gave their best. The other thing I think it teaches us is it teaches us the different responses that we can have to holy moments and the different responses that we have to Jesus Christ, that Christ has come into the world and we get to respond to that. And there are a lot of different responses based on the characters of the story. I wanna, I'm going to go ahead and put that slide up on the screen. I want to talk about these different responses, that, that, that we have different responses to the God of the universe, that Herod's response was hatred and hostility. In this story, he wanted to find this king, this Messiah, who was going to mess up his world and his power and take him out. And sometimes our response to God is that, one of hatred and or of hostility. Our response to holy moments, to the inconvenience of those, might be hatred or hostility. Then the Pharisees, in this story as it unfolds throughout Scripture, their response was complete indifference, that the religious people were indifferent to this event. And I would say that I think that this might be the greatest temptation for us today, is indifference to Jesus, indifference to holy moments, indifference to the power of what this means for our lives. Maybe because we're used to it, we're comfortable with it, we've embraced it, we've accepted it. But this is not the response of the Magi, not the response that God wants for us, that this event should be significant, not just when we celebrate it at Christmas, but in each moment. Then there is the the response to holy moments, to this moment, the response to Jesus of disinterest, going about our own business. This was the people, maybe many of the shepherds, particularly before they got this good news, that the people in the town probably went about their own business, that for many years, even in the life and ministry of Christ, people went about their own business. They weren't interested in God. They weren't interested in holy moments. They weren't interested in what Jesus had for them. And the truth is, I think that we can sometimes struggle with this, too, But then, the big part of the why of the story for me was the response of the wise men. Their response, not only to bring their best, was adoring worship. They weren't religious people. They probably didn't even fully understand what was happening, but they simply adored and worshipped this Christ. The question for us is pretty simple. What is our response to these holy moments that God gives us. What is our response to this Jesus Christ? Is it hostility? Is it indifference? Is it kind of just ignoring that? Or is it adoring worship? What is our response? You see, the wise men this Sunday removed from Christmas remind us that this is not just a Christmas story. They remind us that our response is not just in that moment, but that every moment can be a holy moment, and that we are called, we are given the opportunity to respond to this Jesus Christ, not just once, not just on Christmas, not just on Easter, not just on Sunday mornings, But each day, what is our response? May we learn from the wise men and see every moment is holy. Seek to pursue this Christ. And when we encounter him, have the posture of adoring worship. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this Epiphany Sunday, for the wisdom of the wise men. Men of the world who understood spiritual things. God, as we live in the world, help us to see the holy in everything. Help us to see the deeply spiritual moments, relationships, experiences, conversations that you give us. Help us to look to and respond to this Christ who has come for us, not just at Christmas time, but in each and every moment of our lives. It's in that precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.